Welcome to Hydrate Level 4, and I am Peter, the host of the show. And continuing my summer break, I have uh, Chris from the Let's Chat with Rebel and Friends podcast uh, joining in for this takeover. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good. Thanks for having me, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to do this. Well, I want to first thank you for all of uh, you know all of your support of my show. Uh, you know, you've been on this uh, this show before where we covered Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah. Uh, the what was it? The the uh, Alvin and Chipmunk? No, the, the the Chipmunk Adventure. Yes. There we go. That's what it's called. So you were on that episode. Uh, I've been on your show a few times. Now we're um, network mates over at Cortem Parts. So that's awesome. I must have told you this, but you're the reason I wanted to go to CTA. Because I fell in love with your other show, Court. Uh, we got five. That's how I found it. Yes, yes, uh, I've heard it many a times on on your yeah, show. I, I say it pretty <laughs> much every chance I can. But, yeah, uh, yeah, so it's all true. Yeah, you know, and it was important to me that uh, so, you know the the very few that I've asked, you know, are supporters of the show and you know uh, are friends of mine. So uh, you know, uh, so I asked you, and what movie are you bringing to the listeners today? So I've chosen the Muppet movie, the nineteen seventy nine original Muppet movie. And um, I, as I understand it, you have a co-host for this episode. Yes, we will have John Bristol, and there's a special reason for John Bristol. He's been on my show a couple times, but and that's not why he is. He is the only puppeteer and filmmaker that I actually know. Like, he, literally, he makes his own puppets. Uh, the he's so, I I got to go to his uh, workshop once when we first inter- when I first got to interview him a year back. Uh, what a great guy! I've seen his movies, and I. I really like him as a person, and I love his work, and that dude knows Muppets the way I know Simpsons, if not more. <laughs> that's that's quite a bit, then, because I know you're yeah. uh, you know, a huge Simpsons fan. Yeah, I'm wearing a Simpsons t-shirt right now, but he is like... I was, I, remember, I was talking to him one time, and he just I said something about Jim Henson, and then he would go off for like three minutes about Jim Henson, just obscure stuff about Jim Henson. and yeah, You know how you are with Back to the Future? That's how he is about the, the Muppet franchise. Uh, pretty psychotic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, <laughs> in the most loving way. I think it's great. I mean, if it, people can't see this, but Peter has Back to the Future uh, art behind him while we're recording this. No, nah, it's, it's nothing really. You know, we've got a big poster that's framed. Yeah, nothing. Is that fan art on the side? The uh, That is kind of a fan art. It's an artist that took, you know, uh, elements of the trilogy and just made it one one photo. And uh, the, the picture that Chris is referring to is, uh, is a piece by uh, Michael Matsumoto. So uh, so Google that. It's a, it's a pretty nice one. But uh, and one last question before we get this episode started. I would like to know why this movie? So I grew up loving the Muppets like most people, but I'm, I was born in 1984, so my knowledge of the Muppets was more of the Muppets Take Manhattan and the later stuff, Muppet Babies, and uh, I do remember watching the Muppets show with my grandparents a lot. And then, God, maybe three or four years ago, my old apartment, I used to have a neighbor who had a four-year-old daughter. We were friends with our neighbor, and her daughter would always come down and hang out with us, and uh, we'd always, you know how little kids like to watch the worst stuff, so I'd always try to find something that I liked. Mm-hmm. And one day we put on the the 1979 Muppet movie for her, and I'd never seen a child sit still and not speak for two hours. I and mean, she was enthralled with every second. She didn't care that it was Steve Martin or Rob Reiner or any of these cool little things. She just loved. She just fell in love with the Muppets. And like in that moment, I was like, you know, watching that with her. As she was age of four, I was probably like 29. I kind of felt like I was a four year old watching the Muppets for the first time, and it was so special. And it's so good. Like, it sets up what, what that franchise becomes. And I was like, 
I got, and I, you know, for, to keep in the tune of Hydrate Level Four, I wanted to do something nostalgic. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I I gotta admit, I don't think I've really seen an entire Muppets movie except for the newer one with the uh, uh, Jason Siegel. Siegel, yes, yeah, him. and that was really good. That was very good. Um, I really, really liked what they did. Yeah, I, I was more of a Muppet Babies kind of guy. Yeah, me too. You know? I love yeah. Muppet Babies. Yeah, yeah, and I think Muppet Wise. I think I was more of a uh, Sesame Street when it came to live action. So kind of yeah. missed out on some of these movies. So I'll, I'll definitely be interested in uh, hearing your review. I think you're gonna have to go back and watch this one because it's it's solid. It's a solid, solid movie. I think I will for sure. Uh, and and thanks again for uh, accepting my invitation to come host a, a, a takeover episode. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) All right. So, uh, and here is Chris's episode. Hi, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4. Boy, oh boy, Mom, you sure know how to hydrate a good podcast. Ah, Thank you guys for joining me as the takeover for Peter's wonderful podcast, Hydrate Level 4. My name is Chris Revel. I was a guest on this show once. And I'm pretty sure I'm the only guest who's picked an animated movie. Peter and I did an Alvin and Chipmunk movie, something about a hot air balloon around the world. The movie was okay. Uh, so when Peter gave me this opportunity, my first thought is, I want to do a Muppet movie. And I thought of cool. uh, none other than John Bristol. John Bristol, everyone. Hello. How you doing, man? So uh, John is a guest on my podcast, Let's Chat with Revel and Friends, on the Core 10 Parts Network. I'm on Twitter and all that bullshit. But uh, the, the reason I picked John is because you are a – now let me get this, see if I get this all right because most people can be like an actor, writer, director, performer. I already said actor, so actor, writer, director. But you're an actor, dri- actor, director, writer, and puppeteer, which I don't think a lot of people have that on the resume. Right? There's only probably only like two or three of us I can think of out there that really have that out there, and I'm, I'm one of them like yeah. to, to, at a certain level, I guess. you know. Yeah, and I think those are the people you work with, I would imagine. I would hope so. I work with them and a couple of my heroes, you know. <laughs> so, uh, tell us about your uh, Elmwood Production Company and all the and head. I, we got to plug that. All right, yeah, it's uh, we're uh, we joke around. We're small but mighty. We're based in Central Connecticut. We make films starring puppets. Most of the films are PG thirteen and R rated, so we skewer them towards an audience that we are, which is kind of fun. And our most recent full length release was a horror film called Head. Uh, classic horror film, 70s vibe. It's got all the blood, guts, and boobs like you'd expect from that type of thing. And it's uh, been touring festivals over the world, won a bunch of awards. Uh, wow. it's, it's been doing really well for us. But it's with puppets. That's but it's with all puppets. Like, so the whole cast is puppets, and it's played completely straight. And not marionettes, like pu- Muppet puppets. Is that what they call them? They, they're just called hand puppets is the, is okay, the technical term. It's just like the trademark. It's like a Xerox versus photocopy. Okay, know? I was trying to explain to someone. I'm like, Muppet puppets. And they're like, okay. Yeah, that's the best way. It's easy. It's the easiest way to say they, they're very Muppety. Uh, they look like human characters, like human Muppet type characters, like your guy Smiley's or your Statler and Waldorf. And they, and you made this the... horror movie, unfortunately, they don't make it out alive. Yeah. And you actually made these puppies, which is puppets, which is uh, different than I, if someone listening, you're probably thinking, like, oh, here's a director who made a movie with puppets. But like, no, no, you, uh, I mean, we're talking DIY filmmaking to the, to the best, to the best extremes I've seen. Had, I got to see Head, thankfully. It was awesome. And then, uh, Josh and Todd, you guys, I love or, that movie. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, so, but it's, I mean, you never meet someone who's like, I mean, write, direct, act, and be a puppeteer, but then you actually make your own puppets on top of that. So, like, I mean, how many hours of your lives you pour into this? It's, 
it's great and it's good stuff and congratulations on those awards that's huge it was wild we you know it's funny how the horror film community a lot of horror film festivals gave us awards and how the horror community really embraced this movie because it was unique and new and hadn't been really done before and i think that was part of it where the publisher community is like no nah, we want nothing to do with you guys <laughs> yeah is that and um you guys were doing it as a fan of puppet movies and a fan of horror movies Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, those are two of my favorite, like puppetry is my favorite medium. Horror is one of my favorite genres. So put the two together finally. You know, we, we t- toyed with it a little bit. The web series called Steve the Vampire previously, but we never really went full horror. So what is uh, your website? Where can people find all your wonderful work? Oh, great. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, elmwoodproductions.com. Uh, and, uh, you can find us on VHX now as well. It's elmwood.vhx.tv. Gratefully can get head right there. I think it's like four or five bucks to download the movie to keep it. We can rent it for three, I think. So it's pretty cool. I'm not exactly sure on the prices. So don't quote me. <laughs> yeah, I just run the place. <laughs> exactly. It's like ah, I can never keep it straight with that kind of stuff, which is funny. Yeah. But they're both – it's there. So is Josh and Todd. And excuse me, you can follow us on YouTube as well. Just Google us. It comes right up, the YouTube channel. And so it's and we got Facebook, Twitter, the whole thing now. We're everywhere. We can't catch a break you know, <laughs> in a good it's, way. How long have you guys been doing this for? Uh, officially, we say since uh, 2002. It was probably four or five years before that, before we got the name Elmwood Productions, though. So, like, you know, about almost t- pushing 20 years. Yeah. Damn. Uh, yeah. And that's awesome. So, uh, one thing I want to start with for how Peter does in his show, Hydrate Level 4, just got to tell people, we're not, I, I will not be nearly as good as Peter does. He is a phenomenal host, and he's so good at staying on track about a movie plot. We're going to try, definitely going to fail. But I do like that he has done on um, the episode I was listening to recently. He did uh, Angels in the Outfield, um, of course, one of my favorite films from the 90s. Nice. I haven't seen it since, so I don't know if it's good. But he did a top 10 movies, top 10 grossing movies at this time. So the year is 1979. The Muppet movie comes out. And here are the top movies from 1979, which is kind of surprising uh, that would go along with Muppets, who actually make it on there. So number one, Alien. Number two, Apocalypse Now. Number three, <laughs> Mad Max. Number four, The Warriors. Number five, Caliglia. I don't know that one. You're not missing much. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. And then we have number six, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Life of Brian. Uh, Life of Brian. Moonraker. Again, no clue. <laughs> Stalker. Kramer vs. Kramer. Oh, that's the top ten. You know what's weird? I was on a different list, and the Muppet movie was on it, but on this one, according to IMDb, it is not. Wow, that's weird, because I'm, surpri- I'm surprised Mad Max is on there. That's got to be like adjusted for inflation or over years of yeah, video releases and things like that, because be. Mad Max was not that huge of a movie in the you U.S. Know, I'm looking at the most popular future film release from 1979. Popular? Yeah. Oh, okay, um, okay. I was thinking about box office. Yeah, you know, let's do box office, too, because I think that would be kind of interesting. A I, very I, different list. <laughs> Yeah, because I was like, I don't even know half of these movies. So, oh, Moonraker was a really bad Bond movie, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was one of the Roger Moore films. Uh, now we're gonna do Rotten Tomatoes. Kramer vs. Kramer, Amity Horror, Rocky Two, Apocalypse Now, Star Trek Motion Picture, Alien Ten, The Jerk, Moonraker, Number Ten, The Muppet Movie. I that's that makes more sense to me. Yeah, because that movie at that point was just like they were at their peak. Sixty-five million dollars. That's funny because movies cost more than that to make now. Yeah. Like like, oh, like these overly budgeted Hollywood movies where they and, pay the grip $100,000 for one day of work, you know? <laughs> and, and they're not good, a lot of them. Not that the grip doesn't deserve their money. I'm not saying grip no, yeah, doesn't well, earn their money. It's but, the yeah, director who so doesn't much... deserve it or the producer. Someone else doesn't deserve it, but the crew, they get it. 
There's so much wasted money in Hollywood right now. The catering and uh, just gosh. Oh, you can't make a movie. You can't make the movie if it doesn't cost a hundred million. No one's gonna see it. God, I mean, I saw the Ninja Turtles movie for why? I don't know why I did, but it's like you know, a, give your writers some more money, people. Right. I haven't watched an Ninja Turtles movie in theaters since the second one, and I don't think I've I haven't seen either of the new ones or the animated one they did. I missed those all completely. You're okay. Uh, yeah, so, I figured. Yeah. So I'm decided I'm gonna read the movie. Uh, synopsis because I don't think we're going to do a great job because you are the like a Wikipedia of Muppets. I hope I'm sure you've been called that before. Yeah, uh, I've been called worse. Yeah, yeah. and I, I mean <laughs> that, and I mean that, and just in awe. I think it's incredible. So uh, after Kermit the Frog decides to pursue a movie career, he starts his cross country trip to Florida, to California, and they say nothing good happens in Florida. Right there, proved wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Along the way, he meets and befriends Fozzie Bear, Miss Piggy, Gonzo, and rock musicians Dr. Teeth and Electric Mayhem. When yeah. Kermit is offered a job by Doc Hopper to advertise his fried frog legs at his restaurant chain, Kermit turns Hopper down. However, Hopper refuses to relent and pursues Kermit to, and his companions to a final showdown. Is it Hopper or Hooper? I feel like I might have did that wrong. He's hopping like like frogs. That's Hopper. Mr. Hopper. Okay. Um, Hopper. I, I think I was thinking of Sesame Street. So, uh, what is your relationship to this movie? And then we'll kind of go try to break down to the plot a little. Uh, for me personally, uh, it was one of the first movies I ever saw in the theater when it came out. I was four years old and I can specifically remember my parents all week. We're going to go Saturday. We're going to go Saturday. The matinee at the, in Connecticut, those of you who know the West Farms Mall will remember there, there was a movie theater there for a very long time. It's a thing of the past now and it has been since the early 80s. But I was so excited to go, and then the the day day before we were going to go, there was a, a really bad hurricane or thunderstorm. Something really bad came through and hit the whole town, took the power out. Oh, God! And here's this four-year-old kid who's like, won't take no for an answer. You yeah. know, like, no, you've been promising we're going to go see this movie. So my dad was like, well, let's get in the car. Let's go up to the mall. And sure enough, the mall had power. Oh, that <laughs> so your poor father. I'm sure he was happy, actually, because I kept, you know, got us quiet and sat us down and gave him 90 minutes of us not being crazy in a house with no power. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And uh, he actually loved the movie. He was a huge Muppet guy, so that was kind of cool. My parents really, really into the Muppets because, I mean, the Muppet show was adult entertainment, you know, mm-hmm. as well as family entertainment. So I think my dad was really jazzed to see it, but uh, I felt bad for him because we harassed him so much to go. And in that movie was the, the, the day that I realized people get paid to make movies like this is somebody's job i never thought about it before that even as a four-year-old never thought that tv shows and things like that was somebody's job you my dad was a mechanic he went to work every day well whoever made this movie that was what they did every day and then went home for dinner you know and i was like i can do this (laughs) that was really the beginning of what the earliest gestation of the idea of being a puppeteer started right there and you've been uh as you said for 20 years (laughs) i've been yeah doing this for 20 wow i'm old yeah yeah just about 20 uh, yeah yeah uh I share this in the intro. The reason I actually picked this particular movie is I uh, big Muppet fan as well, but my introduction comes from like the Muppet Babies and then kind of went backwards. I do remember watching the Muppet Show with my grandparents a lot and loving it. And um, my old apartment, we our upstairs neighbor, there was a woman we were friends with, and she had a daughter who was uh, four at the time. And you know, four year like you were a kid. Oh, this is kind of cool. So uh, when she would come down and we would we became kind of would watch the daughter Daisy, really sweet little girl. But kids love the worst stuff. So every once in a while, we would watch, like, Netflix with her. And, you know, you always, like, you want to be nice because they're not your kids, so you let them pick it. And they would pick Dolphin Tail or some little boy, Zach or Cody or something that would run and scream a lot. Just horrible garbage that I couldn't take. So I finally, one day, I was like, no, Daisy, we're going to watch the Muppet movie. 
and the only uh, the Muppets, all they had was the 1979 uh, Muppet movie, and so I don't know if I had ever saw it. So oh I was, wow! I was in my mid twenties at this point, and I saw Muppet Takes Manhattan. I've seen everything, and I was really thinking we should do that movie. But uh, watching that movie with Daisy for the first time, and she was four years old, as you you were when you saw it. And it's a movie from the 70s, and we're talking about a four-year-old in, like, 2014, and, you know, she knows how to use an iPhone, all that bullshit, and she sat down and didn't make a peep and just was enamored with the movie, and as I watched it with her, I felt like a kid again watching The Muppets for the first time, like, that feeling when you see a movie for the first time, and upon rewatch, holds up. Again. That's I think out of all the Muppet movies, and I'm, this is no nothing bad about any of the other ones, but I think that one is the most rewatchable. Yeah, I agree. And I even though it definitely screams the '70s when you see Dom DeLuise and Richard Pryor and things like that, it's not as dated as any of the other ones that were current films. Like you look at Treasure Island, no. Christmas can really take place in a specific era. Yeah, absolutely. And, Manhattan and, and, or Great Muppet Caper or yep. Muppets from Space. They definitely are really of their times in style and things like that, where the original Muppet movie is, is somewhat timeless. What I found very funny uh, about this movie on the rewatch for this was um, I didn't actually know all the cameos. I, uh, you know, well, right? you know? <laughs> I, I knew the Steve Martins and stuff, but I didn't know Orson Welles. I had no idea what that guy looks like. Uh, stuff like that. So like, and even you know what like Orson looks like if you've seen Citizen Kane as a film guy and all that, but the guy disappeared yeah, for years and didn't do I'm, much of anything. I'm not a film guy, clearly. I fell asleep in Citizen Kane in my film class in college. Sorry, I, <laughs> I don't believe the whole greatest movie ever made. Maybe at its time it was, but there have been better movies yeah. since. You know, yeah. like it definitely was a door opening film, but to me, it's not the greatest movie ever. I made. I like Starsky and Hutch the remake a lot, so I'm, I'm, I don't know if I get a leg to stand on here, people. <laughs> no, I thought that was fun. What do you mean? I really liked and, it, a lot. Uh, but but um, like him being in the Muppet movie, that was the first movie he had done. Yeah. Since the mid early seventies, maybe, and it was the first substantial, even though it was a cameo, still a substantial role for him. And he did it because he loved the Muppets. Well, I also thought was interesting about this is Daisy, the little four year old, or John, the little four year old you were. Those cameos didn't mean anything to you, and you still loved Steve the movie. Martin, I knew who he was because my parents were huge SNL people. Okay, yeah, and I'd snuck some episodes. And I was aware of him. There was a couple of SNL references I was yeah. reading about this. Um, so I'm, before we get into how it starts, I want to talk about cameo guest stars off the bat. Yeah. So I don't actually know how half these people are, so I'm going to read them down. Edgar Bergen as himself as Charlie McCarthy. Puppeteer in the, the, the Miss okay. Piggy scene when they meet Miss Piggy. Okay, this is why you're here. <laughs> Milton Burley. Oh, Mil- was... Milton Burle. Yeah, Milton Burle's yeah. in it, obviously. Yeah. Known for his gigantic genitalia. Cord- only because of a Simpsons reference do I know that joke. <laughs> Apparently his kids say it's true, too. That's a weird thing. That's a weird thing to ask your kids. So here's one I did. I saw again in my 20s. I was like, oh, my God, Mel Brooks is in this movie. And now I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, James Corbin. Yep. Sure, he's somebody. <laughs> Peter is spinning in his grave. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Uh, uh, Dom DeLuise, Elliot Gould, Bob Hope. I knew who he was when I was a kid. Yeah. Madeline Kahn. And she's uh, doing a reference to Blazing Saddles, according to this. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I mean, she did a lot of Mel Brooks type stuff, a lot of comedy yeah. and Carol Kane. Kane, yeah. Is it supposed to be Doris Leachman, or is there actually a Cloris Leachman? The uh, crazy Cloris Leachman, yeah. Okay, uh, Steve Martin, Richard Pryor, that was cool. Telly Savalas, Orson Welles, Paul Williams. Yeah, Telly Savalas was Kojak. Oh, so I mean, to see this movie with. You probably know, know who the fun. people were based on the characters they played, probably. Yeah, yeah. But when I saw like Richard Martin and Steve, uh, Richard Martin, Steve Martin and Richard Pryor, I was, my eyes just lit up. 
<laughs> so let's oh, let's start with the opening of this movie because I didn't realize how meta this movie was. I kind of forget about the opening scene is the Muppets watching a movie called about the Muppet themselves. Movie. Yeah, which that is they made about themselves. Yeah, yeah I think that was really cool because it was like, it was a great way to introduce because these characters have never been seen outside a TV studio before. Yeah, so this is the the idea that now correct me if I'm wrong. The idea is that this is the Muppet Show is currently on and the Muppet Show Muppets made a movie. About how, about how they met is like is that the idea? Exactly it. They're they're famous TV characters who are showing the world how they met, but instead of just talking about it, they made a movie. So is recreating it, how they all met. Do Muppets yeah. have canon? What was that? Is, I, the Muppets don't really have an official canon. Okay. Just kind of cool. They play with their stuff all the time. They'll, I mean, they'll re-reference things or retell the same story in some ways every once in a while, and it's kind of fun that they do that. They don't really hold anything. Similar to Simpsons. Yeah, there's nothing too sacred that they can't go back and say, no, that was just a movie. Like, Something like Kermit and Piggy got married and, and mm-hmm. Bob take Manhattan. When the movie came out, everyone's like, you're married now. And Kermit's like, no, it's just a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that. I, I think that the because they're puppets and not cartoons, they're able to exist in the real world. Like I just saw Fozzie on At Midnight a few months ago, and that was that was pretty cool. It was really cool, I bet. Yeah, like, it was cool. I watched it, too. So it was yeah, like, I'm a huge fan of that. And um. It's just cool that they just they're they're actors who play parts and the parts just happen to be themselves. <laughs> yeah, that so uh we have the opening scene, we have yeah. Kermit, uh this is probably the only time we'll talk about the actual movie. <laughs> no. Uh so we have the, is the opening scene with Kermit is in the, the swamps, in the swamp. Uh Florida and he's singing on his little uh banjo. Right, Grammy Award-winning and Academy Award-nominated song "Rainbow Connection." Yeah, yeah. Peter uh, did not know what that was. I don't think he's a Muppet guy, but he knows a lot of other stuff. But uh, that—that's—I mean—that's such a beautiful, beautiful song. Paul Williams uh, songwriter. We, we we talked about this real quick beforehand. Paul Williams was in the '70s. He was the songwriter. He was the go-to songwriter for a lot of pop stars, and he was writing a lot of musicals and things like that. And he yeah. befriended Jim Henson, and and apparently Henson was just like, "Do whatever you want. I trust you," and never asked to hear the songs in advance of recording. Now, do you feel like that happens today? Like, if someone gets to the, power, the level of Jim Henson, um, his, uh, for people who don't know, Jim Henson also had the reputation of being a great, wonderful, caring, sweet, kind human being. And a really good collaborator. If he, if he brought people in, he trusted them, and that was a huge thing. So a lot of filmmakers wouldn't have that kind of trust in somebody. They'd want to know every note in advance just because they would be worried that it's not going to fit their vibe. Yeah. We worked so together once is... before. They did the uh, Emma Daughters Jug Band Christmas so I think that Paul Williams probably had a good handle on what the Muppets were about at that point. That That's pretty cool. I, I can't imagine anyone just being like, yeah, uh, just make a song for this movie. Yeah, make, whole, make, make 12 songs. Make 12 songs. And as long as they fit the script where we needed them. And on a side note, there's a great documentary called uh, Paul Williams, I Am Still Alive. A really fun. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, he fell into some drugs and the alcohol very short man uh him and the documentary filmmaker were not getting along until uh it turned out they both like fried, fried squid and oh. that was so funny and then all of a sudden they were buds they took him to some crazy third world country and kind of uh broke yeah. him in as one of his crew and then they got along yeah <laughs> you ever see that famous hear the famous story that when he was like performing in his not so hot years at like small theaters and Venues and the kind of half-filled venues, some little boy in, I forget what country, somewhere in uh, Central or South America, like, walked up to him and said something nice, got an autographed, and that young boy became uh, Guillermo del Toro. Oh, yeah, and they kept in touch, which I think is <laughs> yeah, kind of cool. Like, yeah, he was just talking to just being nice, and he's like, and then he becomes, he makes some of the biggest movies of 
some of the of, yeah, of, of all time. times, yeah. And Del Toro and him now are doing a uh, musical version of Pan's Labyrinth together. Film or theater? Theater. Ooh, I would I would see that. Just talking about coming full circle though. This kid was the fan. Yeah. And now he gets to work with him, and Paul Williams is a huge fan of his films, so he's like excited to do this. That's kind of cool. I like that stuff, and, I, and just from everything I've ever read about Henson, is that he just kind of created that environment of just like mentorship and 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 to do things of that nature. Oh, definitely. That's how it always seemed. And from people I've talked to that knew him or worked with him, they were like, "Yeah, he's just he was very ninety nine percent of the time even keeled. <laughs> you know, what's your idea? We'll try it. You know, so that's good." So then uh, Kermit is approached by Bernie, a Hollywood agent who encourages Kermit to pursue a career in show business in Los Angeles. And one of the things I love about this scene is Kermit has the idea of making millions of people happy and not millions of people making millions of dollars. And that, in essence, is Kermit the Frog. That is that is him from day one. And that it just it shoots off the journey. I, this has been described as a road trip comedy adventure and that's, I, that's a, you know it's, it's yeah there it's a great way it's like the old bing crosby bob hope movies where they go on the road and do something great yeah yeah they have in the way there it's very much in that vibe you so know it's a throwback so to us it's a throwback because it's 1979 but they're probably making references to stuff from the 60s and 60s and 60s and 40s, 50s and 40s even, yeah. yeah the way we would talk about something from the 70s 70. Hey, here we are right now. Talking about something from the 70s. 70s yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they would probably go back to the 40s and 30s. So I think that part is really cool. Uh, God, what's, uh. First no. cameo, that was Dom DeLuise as Bernie. So that's Dom DeLuise. Okay. That was named after Henson's actual agent, Bernie, which I think is kind of funny. Oh, uh, that's kind of cool. Little inside jokes there. They, if you ever listen to the Muppets when they're on the phone with their agent, they always reference Bernie. Oh, that's kind of funny. Kind of cool, yeah. I think you were the one that told me to watch, like, YouTube clips of Henson and Frank Oz on the street doing, like, B-roll and practicing, and they're talking, like, kind of dirty with Muppets. It was, like, test footage for this movie because the studio that was helping finance it wasn't sure if the Muppets would work out in the real world because they hadn't done that yet. Yeah. So it was them with the director just out in London or England somewhere running around with, like, a 16-millimeter camera just talking to cows and stuff and being kind of obnoxious, yeah. (laughs) So Peter's uh, the first person he meets. First person, first puppet he meets. We meet is uh, Fozzie. comedian Fozzie. Uh, what were your thoughts of Fozzie as a kid? Oh man, Fozzie! Like, like there was that the, the trifecta: Kermit, Fozzie, Gonzo. For me, like they were the Stooges, like three Stooges, yeah, three or, buddies. Three, you know, yeah. and there was and, and you know Fozzie and Gonzo might not have always been best buds, but Kermit was best buds with both of them, like in my head, and that's how it turns out over mm-hmm. the years too, which is good. But Fozzie was always funny. You know, he was he wasn't a bad comedian. He just wasn't a confident comedian. So yeah, his jokes were his jokes solid. Didn't land because he didn't pitch them right. And even as a kid, I got that. Like these were kind of funny. He just doesn't say them right. That's a that's a really good point. And I think we kind of see that throughout the movie. Uh, one of my to jump ahead. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is the Fozzie song with uh, Kermit, which moving I, right along. Yeah, moving right along. Which I will get that in my head sometimes, and I forget it's a Muppet movie song. It just it's just a good song. It was great. When, uh, another thing, like another reference to Paul Williams' great songwriting is on The Muppet Show, whenever a character wanted to get a scene over with quickly, like if Kermit wanted to get a song, he'd say, moving right along, moving right along. They'd always say that. Then this guy writing the music for the movie was like, let's work that into a song. Brilliant. And that was just like something I didn't catch until years later, rewatching The Muppet Show like 10, 15 years oh, ago. I'm like, oh my crazy. God, we're always saying that. Then this guy wrote a song with that as the title. Pay hey, attention. Uh, That's kind of cool. Yeah. That, that, that is. I mean, they really they, they're put along. Um, I forget what kind of car they have. It's Studebaker. Like a, the Studebaker, and it's it's just a buddy car. I mean, it's it's so weird. It, it is. It's a buddy comedy. It's like a it's like a PG lethal weapon. 
if right now, if that if like a movie, like if you could make a movie like that right now, and it would be instead of a Studebaker, though, it would be like a bunch of guys going on a road trip with their Prius. mom's minivan. Yeah, or a Prius, because <laughs> it's to... that type of thing. Like, oh man, let's just take the minivan and go, or like you know the, yeah. the Subaru and go. You know, <laughs> and then adventures will happen on the way. And right. as for the, the the next the next Muppets they meet, we get to meet Doctor Teeth and Electric Mayhem. That's right, because they uh they decide it's time after they get harassed by Doc Hopper, they decide it's time to uh. Relax. Uh, yeah, so Dr. Teeth. Oh, my God. The Did you happen to see that recent YouTube video where he performed at a festival? Oh, I did. I, I actually watched it live while it was happening because I'm that much of a geek. And oh, man. Innovative puppetry that they did there. I was really impressed. And that's that that was a lot of work. Those guys were holding those puppets up over their heads for about 35 minutes straight. That yeah, was really I, I want to ask you, how did they do that? <laughs> it's uh, you, you got that one arm that's way stronger than the other by the time you're done every day, you know? Mm-hmm. But like in the instruments, like they're not there. And it's obviously a track, but it looked like they were playing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just, I mean, like music and performance, they go hand in hand in some ways. And I really do think that they probably stuck that some of those guys are musicians as well. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure they studied the movement that would work. And there was two puppeteers under each puppet, which made sense. One doing legs and arms and one doing mouth and arms. So they could walk around the stage. I don't know if you caught that, but they had legs and they were walking around and like, that was just really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, speaking of logistics for this film, is there anything you can kind of give us insight to of how they would do it? Like Kermit's riding a bike or driving the, car? the bike is a lot of trick shots. Uh, the okay. close-ups are a hand puppet, mm-hmm. and they're pulling like a rig with the the, the handlebar of the bike there. Interesting. Shots is a marionette. Like the whole bicycle itself okay. would be a marionette at that yeah. point, which is really neat and cool. You don't even see the strings. Like they do such a good job. I mean, that's one thing about film that's more forgiving than digital too. Is you know, you, real film hides things way better than than the crispness of digital cameras that is true because you, you the quality of the film well i still think it looks good it does not look good digital it's, it's just it's not a digital film it's just right. if you right. retouch it you're just going to see the strings and that stuff yeah which is cool like i mean even i'll give them a lot of credit on the the blu-ray transfer that disney did they went back to the original print and instead of enhancing it for digital they just cleaned it up which is the smart thing to do yeah that's what i want you enhance old films and you lose quality sometimes. Like um, like the original Star Wars films don't look as good on these crazy enhanced Blu-rays than they did on the DVDs from 10 years ago. Have you ever noticed like sometimes you see a TV that's like too good and then it looks like everything looks like a British documentary because it's like moving too fast? Moving too fast or it's – um Not enough frames per minute. Is that I've re- heard? It's the frame rate, which is okay, but then they, they cleaned up too much or like again – Every flaw is there sometimes, you know? <laughs> you see that news anchors, too. All of a sudden, everyone has a lot more makeup on, and they're, like, really ugly. <laughs> oh, ugh. Oh, I actually oh, forgot to mention that uh, then, you know? <laughs> our boy Scooter is in the scene. I always, always, always love Scooter. Yeah, something about Scooter. He's just such a fun guy. You can't help but like him. Even in the old Muppet show at times, he was kind of a prick. But it was still, like, he was just trying to get his own way, though, and, like, not in a bad way, just he wanted to make sure he had a job, like everybody else, you know? <laughs> yeah, so in Scooter's role is this, he was the manager of Dr. Teeth and Electric Mayhem. Right. But then he, uh, another self-retrofer part in the film, people, I, which I love, is uh, he receives a copy of the script. Yes, they give Dr. Teeth the scripts instead of uh, boring the audience by recapping everything. It was just... Um, I watching this now, it makes me think of that p- famous scene in Spaceballs when they watch the movie ahead to see how to how to kill the ship. Like yeah. it's 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 so funny and um and I think that's where the Muppets has like solid comedy, solid jokes. Like great writers. I mean, really, you know, the, the guys who wrote for like George Burns were, were writers for you know for the Muppets. Like they didn't just yeah, they weren't getting the bottom of the barrel. 
Yeah, they were working with high end, and the guy, and they had one writer named Jerry Jewell who worked with them since the fifties, he or the early sixties even. He was their primary head writer, so he had a really good sense of the characters and what kind of humor they always wanted. Then the other writers they brought in kind of followed his lead, which was really good, and that movie's proof of it. Yeah. So, what did you think of the whole storyline about the fried frog legs? Because I actually think is that a food in the South? Is that just a rumor? It is a real food. I've okay. seen it myself. Is it good? I'd eat it. I would never eat it. Yeah. A uh, part of it is that movie tormented as a child and was like, I can't, I could never do it. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, as an adult now, maybe I'd try it, but I don't think I'd go out of my way to get it. Well, how fucked up is it that, uh, they're trying to have Kermit, it, like Kermit would try to be the fa- the spokesperson for this company. Right. <laughs> That's the absurdity of it, which I think is fucking cool. It's like just it's that, another level of that Muppet, that Muppet humor, that, um, sick humor, they call it. And Jim yep. Henson always kind of has, was kind of he you know seems like a hippy dippy anti capitalist kind of guy so it's almost making a statement on capitalism of just the irony of like well of course a frog would want to sell uh, frog frog legs fried frog legs <laughs> it's just oh my god and I think it's also a spoof it's supposed to be like a McDonald's type of like chain restaurant kind of thing which is funny because I'm sitting in my office right now talking to you with a glass of water in a great Muppet caper McDonald's Happy Meal glass from 1981 wow still have it. Oh, yeah, I have a whole clip. People keep giving them to me. You got <laughs> some find- good friends. <laughs> I thought you'd like this. I'm like, yeah. I would. You know, thank you. I, it's cool. I you know, like, it's kind of a cool, cool, cool collectible. But it's just funny how, I mean, Henson understood, though, the whole concept of marketing your characters to keep them alive. And most of his productions were done independently. So the yeah, toys yeah. that they sold kept the company going. Yeah, yeah. And, and Henson's still around. I believe it's his son running it's it. Brian runs it now. And they're still an independent company, which is really cool. Wow. And uh, I... Did want to ask you? We're gonna veer off topic a little bit, friends. Uh, what did you think of the new movie, the the Jason Segel reboot, and the 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 prison one, and then the TV show? Yeah, I like I liked I liked all three actually uh, for on different levels and for different things. The 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 Muppets is the name of the one with Jason Segel did. He had a really good. He was a, he was, you could tell he was a fan. He put a lot of things in there just for the yeah. fans. A lot of it was a little too nostalgic for me. A little too much. Oh, nostalgia. We love the Muppets, but that was also a great way to bring them back. The second one, uh, Muppets Most Wanted, I really enjoyed because it was more of a just a Muppet movie. They didn't have to reestablish it. And be like, oh, no one knows who you are anymore. Let's make you famous again. No, it was just, let's put the Muppets on an adventure. And I thought the humor was a little more spot on for the Muppet style. And because they weren't tied down anymore to like bring yeah. them back, they were back, you know. And and I think Tina Fey and Ricky Gervais just nailed it through the whole thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, Phil Dunphy, uh, uh, Ty Burrell, I thought did a great job as well. Bell was so good in that movie. Like I, that was a movie about how funny he was in that. Like <laughs> I think that's a movie to be quite honest that you got to watch twice because the first time I saw it, I wasn't in love with it, and I think it was just more of the person I saw it with, and it was not a great experience. And then I saw it again at home. I was like, oh my god, this is brilliant. Yeah, and I think the uh, the the DVD release of it does it justice because they added about eight minutes into it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can make or break a movie. Like I saw. Uh, Netflix had a Dumb and Dumber unrated version or whatever on there one day. And I love Dumb and Dumber. And this movie added maybe 10 minutes. And it changed the entire tone of the movie where they weren't lovable idiots, but just like misogynistic villains. Like there's a weird – oh, and there's a really strange homoeroticism to the movie. And it can go either way when you do that. Like in this case, it was Dumb and Dumber. It made it worse. Yeah, and this it could have made, made it better. One of the extra like eight minutes or whatever it is actually makes the movie a little more enjoyable, and they even throw a few references to the first Muppet movie in there, which oh, is kind of neat. A couple little jokes that like if you're a really hardcore fan, you're like, oh my god, that's right out of the first film, and that was kind of neat. I can see why they cut them because it didn't. It wouldn't help work, yeah. Film, but it was you know they're trying to make the movie shorter, and I get that. 
but it's definitely when you're at home on your couch, you're not as eager to get out of a chair. You know? So you're a filmmaker. So are you making movies like that in that sense? If you were in that position, like you got to make the big Absolutely. box office movie and then you're like, all right, but then those true fans are going to watch the director's cut, the producer's cut. The, the... It's nice because we work as a group. Even if I'm directing, um, we're still a gang. You know, we're like more like a band in some ways that we – we kind of work things together as a group most of the time. And sometimes one of us will put our foot down like, no, it's this way, you know. But overall, like with Hat, I'll use an example. Pretty much every scene we shot ended up in the film, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we'd edited the script so much that so we wouldn't waste time shooting things we weren't going to use. You oh, know, that's and then with Josh yeah. and Todd, though, not only do we cut things, but we reshot some things as well six months, almost a year later on a couple bits before releasing it because they weren't working or we weren't happy with it. And so it's like... You, you always want to think in mind of, um, at least for me, what, what am I going to like? Mm-hmm. I think this is too long. If that's the case, then it's time to shorten it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you know as a filmmaker, like uh, for lack of a better term, when to kill your baby? Oh, man. For me, it's usually – there's times when we were filming and I'm like, this isn't going to work. Like, there, And then there's other times – and that's more often than not if I, when we're filming it if I know it's not going to work. And then there are times where you watch it back with a little hindsight and you see things and you're just like, Oh man, like with Josh and Todd reshooting that whole sequence, we even reshot the ending of the film, believe it or not. And oh, wow. it was because the ending we put in was so mean spirited mm-hmm. and it wasn't meant to be. It was just after we shot it, it came out that way. And we didn't want Josh and Todd to be complete assholes at the end. You know, even though in the actual end of the film, he does slam the door in his girlfriend's ex-girlfriend's face. It was still a similar ending then, but it was even mean. The way it was portrayed came off meaner, and it wasn't about I'm over you. It was about you're an asshole. And yeah, yeah. Made him an asshole. Made him and Todd both assholes, but instead we made it more of, you know, my life has gone on and yours hasn't. Everything's good. You know? <laughs> a little so, just desserts there because yours is worse than mine, you know, but it didn't make him come off like a jerk at the end. So, I don't know, every now and then you watch something like, I'll even go back and look at some of the older films we've done, like the short films and stuff, and see stuff, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe we did that. But that's like, you know, five years hindsight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so they stop at the uh, Presbyterian Church, according to Wikipedia, uh, where we meet Gonzo, who works as a plumber with his girlfriend, Camelia the Chicken, and Sweetums. What is that whole joke about Gonzo and chickens? Is that because we don't know his species? Well, one, they don't know what he is, right? Which and I think two, is hilarious. Early days of The Muppet Show... He was doing a bit. Uh, I, I I rewatched the series not that long ago, the first three seasons because they're great. on DVD, and you can see it happen in the show. There's a bit where he's auditioning dancers, and there's these chickens, and one of them walks away, and he goes, "Well, she's got really nice legs," and he like mugs at the camera, and apparently at that moment, all the writers were like Gonzo likes chickens, like, and it was like an improv, and they just oh. started adding that into the show, and then it became part of the movie, which I think is kind of neat. It was just literally an improv on the puppeteer's point, and it became a character trait. <laughs> No, do you like? Are you a fan of that scene where like Gonzo's chasing them down in the car? Oh, I love when they're when they when they when they crash. Yeah, or when they, he's up in the balloon. The crash, the crash. Oh, that, that's a great introduction to Gonzo because what did he do before he was a, st- the, a stuntman? You know, they never really explained his daredevil. Yeah, which is fine because you shouldn't explain everything. You know, let let people have imaginations, but. I just remember even as a kid seeing it, and when they didn't crash, it's like, well, what happened? Then he falls down the windshield, and it's like. Of course, that's where Gonzo would be. <laughs> I loved it. I loved. I mean, like I said, I don't think there's a bad shot in that whole film, even from a puppetry standpoint. It was the best, the best at the top of their game, you know, at that point. And then we get, uh, we get to meet Mrs. Piggy, M- Miss Piggy. Piggy at the Bogan County um, beauty pageant. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is great. Now she is. Um, I've always am interested about her backstory. Uh, one complaint I did have about the TV show. 
Um, I actually didn't really like the TV show. I thought they did a good job. I, I think it, on, in, in a perfect world, it would have been done on HBO or AMC or FX where they would have more creative control and not like an ABC. And right. what I would love to see, and I don't know if they would ever do, it would be like a Larry Sanders show-esque. Yeah, uh, go a little moments. more there. I, my problem with the show was it started off really good. Those first two episodes were really, yeah. I think, right. They were, any show, the first episode is nobody's favorite. You know, you get that. Concept. But I really so, liked like, the I thought, pilot. I thought it was a great pilot. And then it just lost me. It got kind of just, it was the same thing every episode. You know, the bits with Rizzo, Gonzo, and Pepe were better than the focal story every uh-huh. time. Because those three characters were just so off the wall. They were they were the Muppets, and everybody else was just around them being a sitcom. And it could have took some more influences of things like 30 Rock or Curb Your Enthusiasm. Or, I, one thing I did not like about the TV show is that they were having celebrities playing better fictionalized versions of themselves. Like there's an episode where her and Kristen Chenoweth have a competition of who could build the house the best for the Habitat for Humanity. Uh, no, that wasn't China. She was the one where the Dr. Teeth dumped her in the middle oh, of the okay, desert. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was um, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Well, short blonde actresses. What do you want from me? But uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah Reese Witherspoon, and it was just like, I don't want to see that. I loved uh, Larry Sanders' show, or when people go on TV and play a shittier version of themselves. That's funny. Like, that's humor, not the who can be the... I don't know. <laughs> it had some problems, and I know the new showrunner came in, I believe Kristen something... Yeah, the, the last like five episodes kicked back up. They also did a lot of fan service in those last five, which I didn't like. It was they were listening to the idiots on the internet who have, mm-hmm. who scream and yell a lot, you know, and and treating them like they're the majority when really there's a bunch of crybabies in their basements. No, I, yeah, I wanted to see an original. Yeah, they could have been a little more original. With original. The show. That was one of my problems yeah. too. But in the end, I, I mean, the last few episodes I really enjoyed those. I'm glad they they brought it back in a little. And I mean, what they really should do at this point is if they want to give the audience what they want, just bring the Muppet show back. That's what everybody wants. Ask any hardcore Muppet fan. They just want to see the Muppet show again. They (laughs) did that stupid uh, Maya Rudolph and what's his face? Oh, God. um, Steve Martin. Not Martin Short. Martin Short variety show, which to be in all honesty, it did not. We didn't. I love Martin Short, but he does not need to be on it. Maya Rudolph can run her own show. That woman is fucking brilliant. Yeah, but it's like that's the Muppet show. Yeah, but you it, know, there's no puppets. It's a modern so it, version of the Muppet not, show. It's just a variety show. Yeah, it's a variety show, and it wasn't really working. It didn't work for me. It was like, oh, here's Tom Hanks in the not very funny clip. I'm like, SNL already exists, so give me a puppet version of SNL. That would be brilliant. That's something we always wanted to do. We want to do like a, maybe eventually, we'll get back on topic in a sec, I guess, but eventually Elmwood wants to do like a Kentucky Fried movie slash SNL slash Amazon Women on the Moon type film. Hmm, that would be incredible film where everything kind of ties together though at the end you know like that kind of like that kind of humor too that kind of off the wall that's what we do anyways for humor is the r-rated craziness so so the next part of this film is uh a little strange doc hopper just kind of shows back up and kidnaps miss piggy yep kidnaps miss piggy to get get uh it's after the what uh after the kermit and uh all they decide to get a hotel for the night that's yeah they get a hotel or dinner and what is it called the electronic something device that will, trans the brainwasher turns his brain into guacamole as mel brooks says yeah <laughs> and yeah mad scientist well brooks and see here's the thing even just like even just reading the plot of this movie i was like this is so outlandish and weird but it works because they're muppets and it's so fucking brilliant and so well written if it was uh, an animated film it wouldn't even have worked as well because just hearing the the, the celebrity voices that they use a lot in animated films now still doesn't convey the fact that it's mel brooks saying when a when a German scientist says hold on to your hat, you hold on to your hat. <laughs> really? 
you know, okay, you know. I but get Mel Brooks it. can it, do it, that. If the cartoon character doing it, it wouldn't be as powerful as Mel Brooks actually doing it, you know. So again, with the Muppets there, it just worked out, you know. And then the fight scene is just hilarious. They're just throwing this peg doll around, you know, and, and, <laughs> making and it, it beat them up. That's you know, hilarious. And, to me. and what what a great thing for 1979. Uh, this movie could probably get some stuff from Miss Piggy being the damsel in distress, distress, but no, uh, Miss Piggy saves the fucking day and kicks his ass. Right, which, you know, all this girl power stuff happening and, you know, women's empowerment and all that in the past, like, 10, 15 years, Miss Piggy was a feminist icon in yeah. the 70s. Yeah. Oh, know? yeah, I think and, there's and actual... Uh, she's never stopped being one, which is really cool. No, and that even, movie's proof that even like Kermit didn't save her. She saved Kermit. She saved Kermit. Cool. Yeah. yeah, and I think even, like, Gloria Steinem has even, like, written about her and, and things of that. Uh, Miss Piggy is great. And that was the other part about the Muppet Show. It was, she wasn't the strong feminist icon or... Her own bad bad ass bitch or whatever. She was like strong woman. That's all it was. Yeah, yeah. she wasn't that in the sh- in the in the show. It was shitty. She oh, was the a new sh- show. Yeah, she, she was. was just, I mean, she's like because she she was Jenna Maroney from Thirty Rock. Yeah, they were writing her as a celebrity instead, instead of as a personality, and that yeah. was bad. And I I wanted to see. I know. I'm sorry. We're gonna keep harping on that. Um, <laughs> but so uh, yeah, we don't. Let's see a bunch of stuff. Uh, is this the part of the movie? I'm I'm going by memory and I'm looking at my notes. Kermit, uh, Kermit, oh. after Miss Piggy leaves him before they both get kidnapped, he meets Ralph the dog and they sing that really cool song. About oh women, yes, which is like to me that's there's a great album out now called the Green Album. You can buy it in stores and everything. And Matt Nathanson does a cover of that song on it. Yes, is that um I think Alkaline Trio does a cover on there too. They do too, yeah. And Matt Nathan's cover of that though is just like one of those. It's one of those perfect covers, if you ask me, because he just sings it so straight. I'm gonna get this. Now there's another uh, fourth wall break where the Swedish Chef fucking tangles up the movie as the projectionist. <laughs> as the projectionist, yeah, messes the movie up. It melts down, yeah. And uh, what a great way to have every single character from your universe in there. Right, they're all in the, well. Almost all of them are in that movie theater watching the, yeah. the first cut of this Muppet movie, which is really it. fun. Yeah, I forgot to say when Fozzie does his great song, moving right along, they see a uh, Big Bird is walking, going, "I'm gonna go make a life for myself on public television." <laughs> I think that was pretty great. Like a, a big bird, a big which is probably Carol Spinney, correct? Carol Spinney, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it was Carol Spinney. Did you see that? Of course, you saw that documentary. I own it. I loved it. That oh, was, I loved uh, it so much. Brought me to yeah, tears. That was that out of all the like the documentaries that had been made of Muppet related things over the years, that's probably my favorite one. The if anyone gets an opportunity to see uh I am Big Bird, the Carol Spinney story, it's he is the pup, main puppeteer of Big Bird for years and years. But it really delves into his past with his troubled childhood with his father and abuse and uh filming in China. And they yeah, and his, his mar- first marriage falling apart. Oh my god! And, and he just, pulled his life together. I mean, look how great he's doing. Or yeah. did after like the late after the seventies. Like he yeah. just really had a great second act professionally and personally, which is awesome. When they meet, they re- reunite with that little girl. Uh, oh, that was China. really sweet. Broke yeah, my I, mean, I saw it in the theater actually locally. Oh, and, I wish um, I played around here. When it toured, and it was just like you know, everyone in the theater was like choking up when they bring her back. You know, when they finally get to see her again, it was like, oh, that's really cool. You know, what was the story? It's in China, they just had to up and leave very suddenly. Yeah, well, that's you know, it was Chinese government, it was still communist and everything. Yeah, and it was just when weird. The, when the show was over, there was no saying goodbye. You just had to leave. You, you just know, go. They were, they were actually kind of. I think they were afraid that they were going to try and take the girl. Oh, that's right. There was something really weird. They thought she was dead. And then the Spinneys thought she had maybe passed away because they hadn't heard from her in forever, and it was mainly just because the government wasn't sending mail out. That's right. Oh, beautiful movie. Uh, so we come back to the movie, 
uh, they stay the the wagon breaks down and now they're in New Mexico. We've got Ralph the dog. We got the crew. Uh, we so got Mad you, Mad Moonies where they meet Sweetums. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about this scene because you're a better explainer. <laughs> uh, when they pull up to the the garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they they pull up their cars crapping out and they said they need a bigger car. So they are a better car because they're in the studio. They're in the studio bigger at that point, right? Then they get the Woody. They pull up and they get this big wooden car. The old school Woody's that fit all the Muppets in. They got Kermit, Piggy, Fozzie, Rolf, Gonzo, Camilla, and they're going to keep going. And uh, they ask while they're there, this character Sweetums is, uh, helps them get a deal on a car. I won't give it away if you haven't seen it yet. And uh, Milton Burles, the the shyster car salesman, which is kind of a perfect girl for him. And uh, they get the car. They get a car for thirteen bucks, essentially. And they drive off, and of course, they think, and they ask Sweetums if they want he wants to come to Hollywood with them, and he's like, Hollywood, of course. But he runs off without saying yes. And they're like, all right, well, I guess he doesn't want to go. And they leave. And then there's a running gag for the rest of the film that he's chasing them down. <laughs> he's trying to catch up to them every step of the way. Which they also reuse again in the uh, the Jason Siegel movie, which I actually love that joke. That was cool. Yeah, that was, a cool, that was a cool gag to bring back. Yeah. That running, travel by map, and every time he's just sees Sweden, Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. And it's cool, because I don't need to know his backstory. I just wanted to be a big ogre who has a heart of gold that we that just keeps getting fucked over by these people. They just don't, some characters don't need them, you know? That's what's cool. I don't yeah. need to know. And so in the, they meet, they're in the desert, and who, oh god, who's the cameo for their, for this? Uh, when they're in the desert, they just, the van, the, the car craps out, at this point. I know there's something else. What am I missing? I don't remember. Does it, oh, doesn't Kermit have like a, doesn't mean like a Native American and they do drugs or something? No, that's the doors. That's the doors. Okay. Ah, uh, well, clearly John and I don't remember this scene, so go watch it and tell us what happened. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, the, the film, they, they end up, uh, the Studebaker or whatever, the big, the, the Woody they bought, the car they bought craps out in the middle of the desert. And the uh, Muppets are all sitting around and, and oh, everyone's Kermit like, oh, disappears and then he comes back reinvigorated and optimistic for the future. Dr. Teeth is there now because he hears yeah. the music. He wanders off in the desert and kind of talks to himself because he's like, well, I never promised them I'd do that we'd make it. And himself talking to himself was like, well, you promised yourself. And that was kind of the, the concept of, you know, that you even if you let them down, that's okay to let them down, but don't let yourself down. You that's know? right. And then Dr. Teeth, uh, what do they, they read the script. That's what they do. Same thing with Spaceballs again. They read they look into the future. Where they'd be, and I think his exact line is, "It said exterior night, desert. We knew exactly where you'd be." Which is <laughs> <laughs> so Doctor T. Yeah. It, it, and it's it's perfect because like it's a shortcut for a filmmaker, and it's self-referential, and it's like again Sounds for a Muppet movie. Yeah, moving right along. Yep. And then they end up uh, heading to Hollywood, and uh, on the way there, they have to stop to finally meet up with Doc Hopper and have the the high noon western moment where oh yes dr doc hopper hires an assassin and uh kermit's like fuck that doesn't say that he's like fuck it we're gonna do this a high noon western yeah like a a real reference to old westerns and of course people make the whole movie's a reference to hollywood history and things like that which is cool like a tribute to that yeah that is cool because people making these movies their dads grew up with westerns so that means they grew grew up up watching on tv and things like that too and here's this you know, they got the the standout. The, what do they call it? Like the standoff in the middle of the street, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the. You know, like that's just kind of cool in the old west town, and that's where you meet Bunsen and Beaker because they're doing their experiments there. Again, perfect way to put them in the movie. Of course, Bunsen and Beaker were living in an old west town where there's lawless because Beaker is like a scientist, borderline yeah. uh, sociopathic, and he almost 
Uh, of course, how yeah, are they going to get the out water, of this yeah. one without <laughs> killing someone? But of course, something goes wrong with uh, with uh, Bunsen and Beaker's assignment and destroy. And doesn't does he die or no? I'm sorry, animal draws gets real big, Takes right? The pills. And this is pre Ghostbusters. So did Ghostbusters get that idea from them? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, I know the SNL guys and the Muppet guys were tight for years. So Would you pay I'm sure money? How much pitched. money would you pay to be in a room with the bill with the Muppet guys and the Ghostbuster guys, just being like talking Hanging about out the and, movies? You know, and that's why they always sum up Ghost, uh, SNL people on the Muppet Show and in Muppet movies because they were all friendly. God, just Steve, imagine Steve, Steve Martin are like really good friends. Like, you know, they made a ton of movies together. Yeah, of course. Ma- imagine like just being one of those people at a restaurant where it's like Steve Martin and Bill Murray and Jim Henson and uh, talking. Frank yeah, Oz, like, just whoa. talking shop. <laughs> I actually have a, a little antidote. I interviewed a while back this wonderful author, uh, Nevin Martell, who wrote a book about Calvin and Hobbes. But he, uh, great book called Looking for Calvin and Hobbes, the Unauthorized Oral History of Calvin oh, and Hobbes. Oh, Miss Looking for Mr. Watterson, was that it? That's the documentary. He's actually in it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I knew I knew the name. I'd seen. Yeah. The documentary. Yeah. Great documentary. But he told me a funny story about when he was a uh, uh, his pet, a very small baby. His parents owned a restaurant in New York City, and when he was a small child, uh, his mom was there, and he was some nice gentleman behind him was just making faces because he was like a little baby, and just being like very nice and left. And then I guess he grew up later to find out that was Jim Henson. Oh, that's awesome. So Jim Henson was <laughs> nice to babies in restaurants. In case you're wondering. Just entertaining people. That's, yeah, that was his thing. I just think, I was like that. Yeah, right. And that's and that's not like a fame story. It's just he was out in the world and saw a little baby and just made faces at him, and made him laugh. That's perfect though. He was a dad. You he know, was, he's a dad in a, yeah, Jim Henson is really America's dad. Yeah. <laughs> he's <laughs> definitely like a generation of dads. Uh, I read a great article online where they could say he his sensibilities kind of invented Gen X. Oh my god, that beard and like the skipping. I every time I picture him, there's that scene I think it was from I am I am Big Bird where he's just it hands in his pocket skipping. Yeah, that's totally his personality, you know, like, and in a good way, like that fun side. But okay, so where are we now in the movie? Uh, so yeah, I don't uh, he gets the, uh, I don't know what they call him, but those pills, they turn animal, one of my favorite fucking characters and all of the Muppets, everything. Used so perfect in this movie. He gets real big, scares everyone away. And that was a real head. They didn't like use. Really? They so made, they made that? They made a giant animal head and had it on a lift to come up through the building. <laughs> yeah, where is that thing now? That's what I want to know. God, How is that I know. Not- How is that not in the Smithsonian? How is that not? It's got to be in a warehouse somewhere, you know. You got to, or, or it's not. Who knows? Like, yeah, because there's a thing in Hollywood. There's also times where they would just make stuff and then just fucking burn it all. Yeah, they might have just. I mean, they could have dismantled it and used it for a million other parts or something, or sold it to another company to turn into a King Kong head or something. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Uh, Working so- head where the eyes would blink and the mouth would open, but it was just they pushed it. They. That's just really cool, you know. They, they, and even then, they could have done camera tricks. They could have enforced perspective or something and just used the regular puppet. But instead, they're like, no, we have the budget for this. Let's make a giant animal head. <laughs> it's fucking cool. So from New Mexico, they go to Hollywood. Yeah, um, they make it to Hollywood, just but they're late. But of course. And they're trying to get to their own screening? No, it? and when they get to Hollywood, they're finally there to meet uh, Lou Lord is the character's name. And yes. he's a famous Hollywood producer who was looking for frogs in the beginning. Okay, that's right. So I saw this a while back, and then, we, and then I kept forgetting yeah. to uh, – schedule with you <laughs> they I, had, I went through a move their late and lou lord's secretary played by cloris leachman who cool. is um a fantastic actress done academy awards i don't think she ever won it but she's been nominated and then later on got really known for doing comedy she's on two and a half men bit later in her career um did dancing with the stars a few years ago 
but she was known for being a sex pot and things like that back in the 60s. She was in um The oh, Last yeah. Picture Show. Was she in Malcolm in the Middle? I don't think so. I don't know. She might have been. I don't know. If she was, that's one I missed out on. Yeah, I, I feel like... So she plays the secretary. Yeah, yeah. Who won't let them in. Oh yeah, and they kind of do that throwback in the nineteen in the new one with uh, the Jason Siegel movie where they're trying to connect with people with uh, Rashida Jones. I feel like a little, a little, a little kind of similar to that, but they won't. But they won't leave the lobby. In true Muppet fashion, just like. And so she's like, "Well, you have to do this and that." And then they she starts sneezing, and they realize she's allergic to animals. Oh, so does that mean they're animals? But again, there's no canon, so maybe not. It's there. I mean, well, Ralph the dog is a dog. Fonzie Bear is a bear. You know, a like things like that. So the, all pig is a pig. Kilimanjaro is a chicken. Miss Piggy's a pig. So they all start shaking and letting their fur and feathers fly. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's a brilliant scene. Brilliant. Finally, movie. just lets them in, and that's when they walk in, and there is the legendary filmmaker Orson Welles playing, you know, in his last on-screen role, in fact, playing wow. the the Lou Lord, the King of Hollywood, essentially, and just hearing Kermit's speech. Signs them to the, as he called it, standard rich and famous contract. <laughs> that's exactly uh, – yeah, and that's pretty great. And then we get to see back into the actual movie theater where everyone's watching it. Watching that's, the movie and you watch how – you're we're seeing them making their movie now. And we – oh, the last the last song is uh, – they, they, they end it with a Rainbow Connection. Magic Store Rainbow Connection Melody, which is a great, uh, great thing about you know, just being yourself and you'll be okay. And then the – Rainbow Connection starts, and the theater there's a there's an accident, and a hole breaks through in the theater, and a rainbow comes down on yep. top of the whole audience. Just or, so uh, beautiful. The cast and crew of the fake movie they're making within the fake movie, which I think is kind of cool, and it's every Muppet ever made at that point is in the room. Yeah, we're talking Muppet Show, Sesame Street, Otter's uh, Drug Man Christmas, Otters. TV pilots, commercials, yeah, everything they'd ever done. Like TV specials, like anything the Muppets had ever known where they built a puppet. Broadway show, not Broadway, I did a couple of Vegas shows with Nancy Sinatra. Those puppets, every puppet they had that was usable was in that scene. How many puppeteers do you think are in there? I don't remember. I read somewhere it was like 300 or something like that. There's a lot wow. of them with double, double fisting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah of course. But uh, Tim Burton was there. He was one of the puppeteers. Really? They he was a puppeteer? They went to CalArts uh, and grabbed a bunch of college kids who were taking our classes to get them to be extra puppeteers, and Tim Burton is one of them. Oh, my God. But I don't know who he did. I don't know who he puppeteered, but he's there. That's kind of, And they were all unpaid and uncredited. You know, they all got lunch or whatever, but yeah. how cool is that? Yeah, especially when the movie's good. I think that's the only way that story works out well. Yeah, if the movie sucked, it'd be like, well, or if Tim Burton was like a crappy director and no one cared about him ever. If he was like, yeah. ooh, bowl or whatever, it'd be like, whatever, but it's Tim Burton. So looking back, would you recommend this movie to anyone of any age? Absolutely. Uh, to me, it's, it's, a, I would say it's a, it's a very timeless film. It doesn't really scream the seventies. Some of the musical cues do here and there, but overall it doesn't as a whole. And it doesn't, um, and it stands up. I saw it in 2008 in a local theater here in Connecticut. And it was a room full of kids who didn't even know who the Muppets were at that point. Still worked. And when it was over, they were all like, I want to see more. What's, you know, they were talking with their parents and things like that. My, my oh. then girlfriend is now my wife. She was like, oh man, I forgot how great that movie actually is. And that's a, it's a, so, it's just, it's just a positive movie with a positive vibe. You know, there's no, and you don't get a lot of that with even kids movies either. It's a really sweet and saccharine and over the top kids, kids, kitty, or it's just obnoxious. You know, you don't mm-hmm. get the family films as much anymore unless no, it's like a don't. Muppet movie where it's anybody can get into it and there's jokes for everyone. Yeah. There's some pretty high hanging fruit in this movie joke wise. 
And I'm glad they brought that back into more modern stuff because it kind of got away from it after Henson died for a little while. And then with this, you know, what I have to call New Muppets, starting when Disney bought them in 2006 or seven, the, the New Muppet era, they've kind of gone back to that Henson vibe of humor, which I really like. I did forget to say the final punchline is uh, Sweetums tears through the theater at the end. At the end, because he finally caught up to him. Finally catches up. So and it just ends so perfectly. Uh, it was a really, it's just a really well, and the director so gets good. a lot of credit. He'd never worked with the Muppets before. How do you think they got them? Uh, they, they, I guess when they were getting ready to do Jim Henson, it was like, I never made a movie. I don't want to direct a feature film. He was nervous about it. So they wanted to hire a director, and they were doing it independently. There was no major studio behind them. So they just kind of went out and got reels, like had directors pitch their ideas for how this movie could be made. And this guy, James Frawley, came in. I don't think he'd made a movie yet, but he had like 20 years with the TV experience. And he got the idea, right? Let's get them up. It's out in the real world. Let's do crazy stuff. Like he was totally on board of their ideas. And then they found out that he directed the majority of the episodes of The Monkees. Oh, that. Dude was, there's nothing more Muppety than, than The, the Monkees. Yeah. Here's this oh. band and out in the real world acting like cartoon characters. And he was like, that's the perfect choice. So he, and he never directed another Muppet project after that either, but I, apparently he did stay very good, close friends with everybody, but his career just went a different direction at that point. Interesting. Yeah. And back then, film and TV were so separated. Like they just, you don't, film doesn't do TV, TV doesn't do film. But then having this TV director do a movie was probably kind of controversial. Of a TV you know, show. Like, TV show characters doing a movie with a TV director. The known TV director, right? Yeah. And it's a first-time feature film. I think it was his first feature film, too, after all those years of doing TV. So that's, like, kind of cool. And then he went back to TV, which is, you know, but he just never did another Muppet project. TV's great. So one last question for you. <laughs> if you could do your Muppet movie, do you, you must have one, like, a script in the top, back of your head of what you would do. Out the Muppets? If like, you could, a Muppet, like a movie starring the Muppets? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like the actual Muppets. Like, what would your version be? Like, you could do anything you want. I would probably like, I would, I, I mean, I really, even though the, I, I liked when Henson and Disney first got together in the 90s and did Christmas Carol and Treasure oh, Island. Yes. I thought it was cool. They went and did these classic films. And mm. then Henson went off and did Muppets in Space and a few other films. And then Disney bought the Muppets outright. And so they weren't co productions anymore. And Disney's doing the right thing, don't get me wrong. But I'd like to go back and like maybe like round out that trilogy, do one more film like based who? on a classic book. Oh, like what? No, I don't. You know, I always thought like Tale of Two Cities. Oh, that would be fun. And and what's great, they've made Muppets Most Wanted now, so you'd have two Kermits. Two Kermits. Oh, so that could work. Yeah. Constantine is the other one. You know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, like and because he's a Muppet now, you can put him into it. Or or I'd want to do something like like a haunted a haunted house with the Muppets. Like a head style horror or like. No, it'd be like kid. It'd be family horror. horror film, I like guess. But like. But I also make it very, like, meta-Muppety, where they're mm-hmm. referencing the fact that, you know, Fozzie, stop being so scared. It's just a movie. Like, joking around. Things like that. I think that would be hilarious. You know, like, like, they'd look at the camera every now and then, like they do in the Muppet movie, and just kind of smile at you. Like, don't worry. It's not going to be that scary. You know, I think that would be kind of fun, because they've never really done – the Muppets have hit Christmas. They've done Valentine's Day. They've done, you know, they've done been on TV for Fourth of July stuff. and it's not, They've never really done anything other than a couple episodes of The Muppet Show that were on that vein. And I'm not a huge, huge horror person. I do like horror films and all that. Yeah, and the horror community apparently loves you. <laughs> Which is good. I mean, I do love horror movies. I mean, like, I, and I my top five movies is Evil Dead 2, you know, yeah, yeah. and Jaws. So, but, or either that or I'd want to do something completely, like, just wacky. I don't, you know, like, I just, you know, I never really thought much about a story, though. Interesting. Awesome. Just ideas. Maybe some Shakespeare again, you know, or something like that. <laughs> well, uh, thank everyone out there if you made it to the end of this episode for Hydra Level 4's takeover. Uh, my name is Chris Revel. I host a podcast called Let's Chat with Revel and Friends, which is uh, 
different than Peter's show. It's long-form <laughs> conversational, and I don't stay on track at all. Uh, today, again, John Bristol, and tell everyone where they could uh, find you. Again, elmwoodproductions.com is the easiest spot. Most of the links are right there. Uh, VHX, elmwood.vhx.tv. Uh, we're on YouTube. Just Google Elmwood Productions or Elmwood Puppets. It'll come right up, and you can find all of our stuff there. And uh, Like us on Facebook, of course, because that's where all the news hits first, it seems like. <laughs> uh, shout out to Peter for even asking me to do this. Tons of fun. I hope I did you justice, sir. Uh, continue to listen to Hydrate Level 4 and uh, hit subscribe to the old iTunes, and uh, you have a good night. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. So we've been told and some choose to I know they're wrong, wait and see Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection The lovers, the dreamers, and me